Welcome to Ear Biscuits. I'm Link. And I'm Rhett. It's time for another conversation with someone interesting from the internet. And this week, the person who joins us at the round table of dim lighting is Joe Beretta. Now, you probably know Joe in one of two ways, or maybe- Or two of two ways, maybe right? Maybe both. You might know him for both. A lot of people probably do. He's one half of the comedy duo Barats and Beretta. And he's also the head writer and the host of YouTube channel SourceFed. Now, he and Luke Baratz formed the dynamic duo of Baratz and Beretta way back at the dawn of internet civilization, oh, which yeah. was December 2005. And their first big viral video, which he talks about, is Mother's Day. Okay, come, come, come in closer. You're, you're not in the frame. You're not in the frame. I swear to God, you're like halfway out of the picture right now. F, I, Tucker. Why do you want me so close to you anyways? I, I, want you, I want you in the picture so mom can see you. Oh, in oh, the picture. Happy okay. Mother's Day, mom. Tucker wants me humping his shoulder. God. I certainly remember watching that video at the time. And being, and like, being intimidated. This is, this is amazing. <laughs> they continue to grow a cult following of sketch videos until early 2013. And then he moved on in uh, 2012 or added to his repertoire. Uh, being a host and a head writer at SourceFed, a really popular spinoff show from Philip DeFranco, uh, which has just been incredibly popular. And probably, I'd say, my number one news source uh, when I'm talking about YouTube news. I do go to other sources for news, but when I want news on YouTube, I go to SourceFed. Hey guys, welcome to SourceFed. I'm Joe Beretta. A new classification of planets has emerged, changing the space game, y'all. 560 light years away, orbiting a star in the Draco constellation is Kepler-10c, a new type of planet known as a, a super-Earth. And they have all types of news too, right? You're saying you don't use them as a regular news source? No, I'm saying you I, do. I do. You do. That's what you're saying. I'm saying, but they are my main YouTube news source, but I'm telling not, the people not, they're you, not my only news source. I thought you were saying news about YouTube, but what you were saying was news on YouTube. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I, okay. That yeah. makes more I sense. I like the way they do news at SourceFed, and a big reason is because of the way that Joe thinks about things. But their news is not limited to YouTube <laughs> no, news. It's all, it's which all is, kinds of news. It's all kinds of news. That's my point. You knew that, I knew that, and you listening also know that. So that I'm clearing up confusion that no one had. Yeah, you, it was just all in your own brain. And I'm sincerely sorry for that. You don't have to apologize. I remember the first time we met Joe um, was on the way to the YouTube Live event in San Francisco in 2008. <laughs> Otherwise known as 2008. 2008. Now, it, this is the first time a bunch of YouTubers were getting together. I think we've talked about this uh, on earlier Ear Biscuits, but... Uh, I remember nudging you and we were like, hey, there's that guy we, from Barrett's and We Beretta. were at the airport. Yeah. Before we like went down to baggage claim, I was like, that's the guy from, that's, that's either Barrett's or Beretta. We didn't know who was who. And because, I mean, they were, they were huge. They, the, them and Smosh were like the huge comedic duos on the internet. And then there's us, yeah. us aspiring comedic duo on YouTube, so it's like, ah, should we introduce ourselves? Ah, well, we, we had a chip on our shoulder. I mean, I'll be, I, I'll be perfectly honest with you. We've talked to Smosh, and now we've talked to, to Joe, but going back at that time, these guys were killing it as a duo, so obviously, as a duo who was trying to make it on YouTube, they were the standard. It was like, how do you get to be as popular as these guys are, and how do you get to be as funny and to do these things? So there was definitely a chip on my shoulder. But so you certainly don't go up and introduce yourself. That's not part of no. becoming one of them. So we didn't do I, that. I was afraid that he would be like, well, I got no idea how you guys are. Right. So, it's, you know, I, just, yeah, that was I the didn't want to go there. That's really the fear. It's, but then what happened was, 
we're hanging around the hotel and I'm pretty sure Joe introduced himself or no, it was, we had our picture taken with him when we performed at like the outer stage kind of thing. Yeah. And it turns out he, he didn't know who we were and we were very flattered and uh, we took an epic photo involving holding out coffee. Still have the photo deep in this. my photo stream. But it turns out that Joe is one of the coolest guys. That's what I thought then. It's like, oh, this is, this is a great guy. You know, someone that funny on the internet can actually be a nice person too. Yeah. I didn't know that could happen. Yeah, he's become a good friend of ours, and I'm not just saying this. Uh, he's one of my favorite people on YouTube uh, that I've had the privilege to meet doing this job. And we had a great conversation with him. We got into talking about one of my favorite things about Joe is the fact that he was in a double down commercial for KFC. And we got into that, what it was like, and how it led to a nickname. Uh, we also talked about his deep-seated fear of Chucky <laughs> from Child's Play um, and how he met Luke. Of course, we go into the whole backstory of creating the dynamic duo that actually quickly led to an NBC pilot. Mm -hmm. And we talk about his transition into what he's doing now with SourceFed and whether or not he sees himself as an internet news guy or a comedian. Yeah, is there an, is there an identity crisis going on there? I don't know. Let's find out, Link. Okay, here <laughs> it is, our ear biscuit with Joe Barretta. It's interesting when you have to build something for a baby and you, you get to that point where, okay, I'm doing step number three and I feel like something might break. Yeah. Um, because not only now are, are you in danger of destroying something you've purchased, but there's always this question of Am if I, I damage it, is yeah. it going to like stab my kid three weeks from now? My baby needs to sleep tonight, so I'm going to finish it from where I'm at, but is he going to wake up? <laughs> right. It's a sobering feeling. Uh, yeah, it's not. I, I, the first time I built a crib, I didn't, I'm not buying a crib for Jackson. Uh, we did pack and play with Hayden for the longest time, but I did buy a crib for Hayden, and my least favorite memory of having a daughter was building that thing. It was the worst. The only picture that Heather has of me, there's two. There's one of me trying to assemble it, and because I was doing it by myself. And the second picture was just back to the camera, flipping the bird from behind. Just like, <laughs> stop taking pictures. Oh, yeah. The worst thing about assembling things for your kids is because your wife and probably your kids are watching. Yeah. <laughs> so it's <laughs> really it's, it's embarrassing, but you don't want to admit it. It's second by second, yeah, embarrassment. Yeah. Testing every part of your manhood as well, you go. When you do things like that, the thing I, I notice when I'm doing something that feels very like stereotypical dad, like building something mm -hmm. for a baby, <laughs> I have this moment where I stop and think, I'm such a dad right now. Uh -huh. You know, like I could be, this could be a sitcom. Like I, I'm assume, I am so assuming that role right now. I mean, you can't escape it. It isn't like you, I should then stop and be like, hold on, I don't, I don't want to be boxed in. You, just you stereotype put the, me. You put this crib together. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying that, but there's just these I moments mean, where you just, I'm a dad. I, I own a minivan. I, I want a minivan. How gross is that? <laughs> Heather doesn't want one. I'm like, I've, I've given up. Let's get the mini. How awesome right. would a minivan be? They got a little bit of get up and go, honey. Let's do it. <laughs> oh, they man. got some it's power. Got, it's got everything you want. Can you turn this light? <laughs> Every time I look at you, it's like looking into the sun. Yeah, it was supposed to, uh, it was supposed to create a, a halo effect uh, is what I was trying to do. They've got everything you want. No, you just did the perfect minivan commercial. Well, no, no, <laughs> ser amazing. Hey, seriously. Hey, hey, I'm not kidding. This new, uh, Link drives the, the old Honda Odyssey. The new one, even my 10-year-old knows, he's like, Dad, 
the new Honda Odyssey has a vacuum built into it. <laughs> really? And that's enough to get me thinking about so it. So smart. Yeah. Yeah. It's got a vacuum built into it. It's amazing. There's nothing you would want more than that. Yeah. Think about how often you would use that. It's nuts. I knew that I grew up or became a dad. I can't remember which one came first. <laughs> but it was when I was walking through Sears, and then one day it just clicked. I didn't want to look at anything but appliances. And it was never <laughs> like that before. But it was, you know, in commercials, when you're about 23, 24, you're that guy in the, like the beer commercial that everything slows down. The music goes, wow. And you look to your left, and there's hot girls walking by, and it's just, yeah, slow head tilt. That happened to me. But it was like a stackable washer and dryer. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. Well, the ironic thing is you've done the slow head tilt and nod slow-mo in a beer commercial. Like legitimately, right? I'm a beer commercial guy. I think I'm about three or four years away from being truck guy. <laughs> if I keep doing commercials, I'll just get truck commercials. Well, if you look Which at your one vine, was you're already truck guy. I am truck you. guy. <laughs> so you're really vine for that. I'm very, yes, I'm, I'm the, the resident vine truck guy that knows nothing about trucks. But what, which, there, there, I, what, what commercial is it that you turn to the camera and like you, you was, make eye contact and nod slowly? That was my second beer commercial <laughs> after the, 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 uh, contract on the first beer commercial ran out and I was allowed to do more beer commercials because that's all I could And they were just for. waiting. Yeah. So <laughs> we, I did- We got to get that guy. That was Bud Light and that was, oh, my team scored and now I'm just going to turn to the camera and just mug, like look right down the lens. <laughs> I, was, I was talking to somebody about, I don't even know if the director wanted me to do that, but I was like, you're getting me looking down the lens and that's all you're going to get. <laughs> and then he had to use it. And before uh, that, it was natural ice. That was a whole nother thing. I just, I put them up on my website. Uh, I think like three weeks ago, I just did a, if you guys are looking for those little bits of my soul, here they are. Yeah. And it was like good. four commercials that I've done. And I finally, I think for the first time, tweeted out this Chevy's Mexican restaurant commercial that I did. <laughs> what? It was oh. the first one that I landed I when I I was still moved. thinking trucks. Uh-uh. So no, a yeah. Mexican restaurant in <laughs> yeah. the back of a truck. That's amazing. Yeah. Could you imagine? That's better than a vacuum in a minivan. Uh <laughs> So yeah, I did that, and it's it's just a ridiculous over the top. I I'm just screaming at Mexican food, and I'm like, look at those tortillas, they're amazing. That's all I'm doing. But when did you do that one? It was like five years ago when I moved to LA. It was the first thing I did. Okay, and are we gonna talk about the double down? <laughs> yeah, we are. Mm -hmm. The we, KFC double down. Yeah, it's back. It, it is back. <laughs> it's back. Are you you were in the original commercial? I was in the original commercial. Eating a sandwich made the bread was replaced. There's no by, bread. It was son. It was replaced by two <laughs> chicken breasts. fried fillets Deep of chicken breast. Fried breasts. chicken breasts, and they're not small. You it, know how most commercials? Oh, I've eaten one. Yeah, they're after big. I saw you eat one yeah. on television. I was yeah. like, I got to get one, and it was. Amazing. Delicious. Surprisingly <laughs> I mean, delicious. Kind of overwhelming. hundred percent. So are you back for the sequel? I'm not. It's too bad because commercial money double is down on the double stupid down. money. The cool thing about working on a commercial for a new product is you find out about this amazing thing way before the public knows mm -hmm. about it. And you got to be sworn to secrecy about it. it when it's a double down. How did might, you keep your mouth shut, that, Joe? That might, that's because the, it was full. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, it's the most amazing fast food creation. Uh, top 10 most amazing. One amazing. of the worst things ever created. I don't think yeah, we've, right. I don't even, for all those of you that don't know what a double down is, because we haven't, totally described it yet as link started it's two deep fried chicken breasts that replace the buns of the chicken sandwich <laughs> and then the insides are bacon 
cheese and a concoction called the kernel sauce, (laughs) (laughs) which I think is just a honey mustard when it comes down to it, mixed with the kernel's sweat and ashes. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it's so disgusting, deliciously disgusting, like a lifetime's amount of salt. (laughs) Yeah. It's so bad that you you eat it. I'm thirsty just thinking about it. You eat it wrapped in a... it's like a, a wet, not a wet towel, but just like plastic wrap. Is right, what, is well, how because they that's why it. they invented bread. Because yeah. <laughs> so you can hold so you the can thing. Hold, yeah, it's so bad. Hold and the what, chicken. What did you do in the commercial? The commercial, I think, I mean, I was, I, I uh, was just super excited about the double down because we didn't like bread. I can't even remember my lines, but I do know that the doc, the director wasn't thinking because he gave the line, uh, "Give me more chicken to the big black guy," and he screamed it, and I was like, "You can't." And you know, that's in the final cut. Yeah, and the thing is, like, <laughs> and you were right there. You could have yeah, totally we were safely all just said like, it. I'm just looking. Like anybody could have said that line, sir, but you gave it to that guy. <laughs> and now the other thing is that if you listen to the commercial, gosh, this is what we're talking about. The double down. I got a lot of stories about it, you guys. I got another one after this. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Uh, the you hear our voices are super high pitched. It's like I love the double down. And you would think that they did that in post, but they didn't do it in post. They didn't just like up the pitch. They made us suck down, which I'm pretty sure is illegal copious amounts of helium before every single take you are joking not joking like they would hand us the balloons and the director would like kind of like look over his shoulder like i'm doing is osha here or something yeah right like okay is anybody gonna i'd suck this balloon down and we would suck down two three four i was i literally was lightheaded and felt (laughs) the uh potential to pass out (laughs) during the commercial amazing right as if eating the double down wasn't bad enough for your health Uh uh-huh and did you guys know we're in a massive helium shortage you know we're about to run out yeah we're gonna run out using it in double down commercials finite amounts of helium and we're sucking it down for double down anything better captures the state of the world right now is, is is that a director somewhere is feeding helium to people to advertise sandwiches that consist only of two fried chicken breasts (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the world as we know it. So, yeah, that's the that's the story of the double down. And then it kind of went a little bit farther in my life because um, where I moved to when I first moved to L.A., which is kind of where you guys are, mm-hmm. that big park there is where I used to play basketball all mm-hmm. the time. And um, it was with the local ruffians. And everybody had a nickname, but I never had a nickname. And I never had a nickname growing up or anything. Just in the part of the world where we grew up, it wasn't like New York where you called somebody like, hey, short round or anything like that. <laughs> but just, hey, Beretta was my nickname if I got one. Um, a lot of the basketball players one day were just like, you're the dude from the Double Down commercial. And Double Down became my basketball name. <laughs> it was great. I think it was appropriate. And I am, I'm super happy with the fact that people called me Double Down. Well, it has an interesting sports connotation yeah, almost. And it works I don't for know, basketball. I don't exactly know what. Yeah. It, like, does that mean they're going to double team you every time you get the ball? Because that's a good Because I'm name. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Double Down on Double Down. <laughs> <laughs> that could just be a strip. That's got to mean hook. <laughs> <laughs> or something. Yeah, I don't know if that worked as well. He now, ain't got the bread. <laughs> I don't know. Joe, I, I appreciate you coming at this late hour. I'm trying to figure out what, I mean, it's not that late. It's like 7.30. But what's your bedtime? Because with SourceFed, you you guys get up at the butt crack at dawn because you're doing news type stuff, but you're you're West Coast in it. So you yeah. got to- I'm you up like at five. Go, you get up at 5 a.m. Yeah, and then I'm at, I'm almost 100% the first person there because I'm the best employee. <laughs> uh, I'm there at six and then whatever, I'm out anywhere between two and five. That is not a Los Angeles yeah. schedule. You beat the traffic though. Yeah, that's the only. That's the reason I go um, that early or the reason I push for it. It saves me probably an hour and a half 
of drive time a day. So what time do you go to bed of a night? That's where I'm a bad person because it's 12. <laughs> oh, wow. Sometimes one. You know, you, you don't want your life to be work. You don't want your life to be just work, hang out with the kids, put them to bed, go to bed. I mean, you want to hang out with the wife. You want to watch some TV. Um, you want to troll the alleys of L.A. and look for, um, you know, whatever kind of fights you can get into, knife, gun. Yeah. Um, back alley wrestling matches. Mm-hmm. And it's double down. <laughs> Get it. It's double down. Run. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, I average five hours of sleep. And someday that's going to come back and get me. Probably it, soon. It probably will. Probably. But really you're, you're one of those guys that can can be normal with five hours. Normal-ish. Sleep. I don't know if you guys watch SourceFed. <laughs> <It's, laughs> yeah, we do. It's not uh, – I, I wouldn't say normal. It's a – What? how do we describe it? It's like – SourceFed is, I've described it as, and this is too much of a compliment for what we do. It's the Jon Stewart show had um, intercourse, made sweet love to E! Entertainment, Mm -hmm. and they had a baby, and then they handed us that baby, and we dropped it on its head. (laughs) That's kind of what I think SourceFed is. But it's still living. Yeah, I mean, it's getting by. (laughs) It's it's just, it's different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's go back to... uh, Baby Beretta? Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of a baby that was dropped on its head. Mm, multiple times. Uh, where were you born? I was born in Whitefish, Montana, but I grew up in Columbia Falls, Montana, which are around Kalispell, Montana, which is basically the front door of Glacier National Park in the northwest corner of Montana. So did you, you know, when you grow up on the front doorstep of a national park, mm-hmm. does that make you automatically like really granola? Um, I like, would like you'd pop out of the womb with like one of those hiking sticks. Some, I would say for some, yes, for me, it didn't quite get me like that. I did a lot of outdoor stuff, a lot of camping, hiking and whatnot. Um, it didn't, the bug didn't, uh, infect me as it, as much as it did other people. Cause a lot of the misconception about Montana is that it's either not either, but a lot of people think hick cowboy bull riding, that type of culture. And there is that there, but especially in the Northwest, it's more of that, like outdoorsy North face, mm-hmm. um, granola E, as you said. And there's, there's a lot of that, but I kind of like rode the thin line. I was more of a jock growing up, did a lot of sports. Um, but Glacier Park is something that I did with the family a lot. I did more getting into high school, but didn't totally appreciate until, of course, I was gone. But now every time I go back, that's where I like to hang out. What's your family situation? You ha- you got like younger siblings, right? I've got an older brother a and a younger brother and sister that are twins. Twins? Yeah. And they're like only a year behind me, so okay. it's kind of the three of us. Wow, cl- a cluster. Very, yeah, I don't know how my parents did it. I, I couldn't even, could, I mean, you guys have never had twins. Could nope. you imagine having twins? No, no don't I'd, plan on it. I would give either. one back. I'd leave right? one. No. <laughs> I, I'd, I'd, Donate it. I'd, I'd pick the better looking one. And, yeah. No, nah, yeah. man, it's like, look, I got a spare. That's okay. great. That's another way of seeing it. Yeah. I raised this one, and he went, grew up to be a politician, and the other one I dropped on its head, and it became source-fed. <laughs> yeah, right. There you go. So uh, I remember hearing the story. I think this was on a table talk where you told about, man, I guess it was your worst fear, the one about going in the haunted house because oh, yeah, yeah. your younger twin siblings mm-hmm. loved the haunted house. Even though you were older, you were deathly afraid of it. Yeah. And you're, so you insisted on going in with your mom? Yes. I, uh, my brother and sister, I, I was probably six. Seven, let's say so they were six and to me and this is this is my way of getting at 
the psychological profile of Joe as a kid is well, kind of what I'm after here. Well, the reason I was so deathly afraid of things to even backtrack a little bit more is because my parents made a mistake, and I don't even know how it ended up happening, but I saw Child's Play when I was really young. <laughs> Chucky. <laughs> Oh, yeah. One of the most frightening things ever. And I became, I had night terrors for like four years after that. Wow. A lot of sleepwalking, like would wake up in the middle because of the Because of night. child's play. Because of child's play. It just messed me up mentally. It was a, it was a doll that killed people. <laughs> and yeah. befriended the little boy and earned his trust. And then he turned on him. So it wasn't even just the killing. It was a betrayal of trust, that uh-huh. freaking doll. Anyways, I would but have it, night terrors. It legitimately messed you up, messed for, me up. for years? Yeah, I have I have very vivid memories of some of the nightmares that I had about that damn doll. Wow. But I was so messed up in my sleep state that I would, I would in the middle of the night, sleepwalk downstairs. And you guys have kids. Have you ever seen them sleepwalking? No. Sleep talking a lot, but no walking. So I've, Hayden has slept walk once. Hayden's my daughter, and the other, the other one, Jesus, Jackson <laughs> is too young to for that to have happened. But she's slept walk once, and she's talked in her sleep a lot. When they talk in their sleep, it's creepy. It's not cute ever. You think it's say the cutest thing, but I'm like, you don't know. You're a different person right now, and I don't know you. I don't know if I should wake you up because that would mess you up. Uh, <laughs> it is scary. It's yeah. it's weird. It's creepy. But when they're walking and doing, it's even creepier. But I would like have this blank look on my face, I guess, and I would just casually walk down the stairs in my sleep turn to my father, and then like take a sprint at him, jump on his lap, grab his shirt, and scream, I don't want you to die in his face. Now imagine your kids doing that (laughs) to you. That's what that movie did to me. Now I love it. I'm a horror nut now. It's weird. Yeah, like my my teenage years, it kind of clicked, and I was like, oh, wait. Okay, now I should just accept this. Yeah, it's a subconscious love. It's my favorite genre without me even realizing. Have you dealt with this with your parents? Like, hey. I think I asked them. They don't remember. You you don't know how you got... (laughs) Accidentally, uh-uh. an accidental viewing. I don't know if it was just oh, on he can TV. Handle it. He's four. He yeah. can handle this. I don't know. How, I don't. I honestly don't know what happened. It might have been a babysitter. Because I watched horror movies with my mom, but it wasn't at that. It, you know, I watched Hellraiser probably when I was in middle school. You can maybe handle. That's pretty. That's some heavy stuff that's for crazy, even middle you, school. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That stuff's but messed it, but up. But I wasn't like, you know, yeah, five. Or I was four. very influential in the mind spot, still growing and making connections with my synapses. So that explains why you. So had, you you had to go in the haunted house because your younger siblings did it. Yeah, but think, you had to get your mom to hold your hand. Yeah, so they did it all the time, and I never wanted to go into the haunted house. But this time, I just said, you know what? I, I want to grow as a person. It's time to uh, learn some new skills, like going through haunted houses with my mother, because they would always come out laughing and having like ha- as if if they had the best time in their life. So I was like, I'm going, but you have to hold my hand, mom. She's like, fine. So the, the my little brother and sister go in first, and then my mom and I walk in, and you guys have been to those fair haunted houses. Yeah. They're not real haunted houses. You know, they're on the back of a truck. <laughs> they get driven around, and you step on something, and they make a sound. So we stepped on they're the first thing. They're mechanically haunted, not yeah. actually haunted. <laughs> yeah, right. They're programmed to be haunted. <laughs> uh, we stepped on one of the little pads, and it makes that sound, and I freak out, and the first thing I do is I just instinctively bite my mom on the butt. <laughs> I open my mouth and I go, <laughs> and I'm making that sound. <laughs> and I didn't let go of the clench oh, until we made it all the way out on the other side. So imagine, and I was, it wasn't like a light clench. It was like, she probably had to be well, tested. Where were your hands? <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, I was probably grabbing. Probably I don't remember. somewhere else. I mean, yeah. probably, you know. So the she's other slapping two points my face, trying contact. to get me off. More things are jumping. I'm clenching harder and we finally get out and uh, I don't think I, I don't think she ever went on. That woman again. got bitten in the haunted house. Yeah. That's a scary haunted house, y'all. <laughs> that woman's butt is bloody. 
Wow. So yeah, the, that was that's the story of me biting my mom's butt for an extended ten minutes. So were you um, an introverted child, or was it just you were just afraid of Chucky? I think I was always a silly child. I like to have fun, and I was rambunctious. But I've always, and I still kind of am, slightly introverted in the sense of when I meet new people, I'm I'm kind of quiet until I get to know somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, not like rudely quiet, like that's a weird guy quiet, but I've never been the first to um, go up to a girl and talk to her for the first time or mm-hmm. uh, be the first one to make jokes in a crowd. I, I need a little bit of one-on-one time. I like to feel people out because I'll probably say something that I'll where my foot should be long in my mouth and I need to know that I'm around the type of people where they don't mind that type of humor. So right. when did the performer bug start to bite the performer bug, my senior year in high school, we, we found a camera and some editing equipment. We started making videos before the world of YouTube and stuff like that. Sure. There was a class, I think, um, I wasn't taking it, but my friends were. It was called, it was just one of those bullcrap classes called, I think it was pop culture is literally what it was called. And they talked about. Like a yeah. high school elective. Yeah. That's exactly what it was. Pop culture. St- Still pop in Montana. Culture. Yep. Is time. Yep. And uh, one of the the assignments in that was go make some commercials or something like that. So we got a camera, got the editing equipment, early, early Final Cut, you know, when that was first coming out. Oh. Yeah. And we just made a bunch of just dumb videos. I mean, it was the type of stuff that we probably would have made and put on YouTube if YouTube was around at the time, but it wasn't. So that's kind of when it started. And then I went off to college and because we didn't have drama in high school in Columbia Falls at the time and something that I was always interested in but couldn't do it. So go just do a bunch of sports. That's all I did, like five a year. And when Five I go, a year? Yeah, football, wrestling, basketball, track, baseball, and that was it. Yeah, that's the five. And okay, so you didn't you didn't count cheerleading as a sport. I didn't cheerlead in high school. Okay. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. I went to college. Dot dot dot. Without any plans, I just went to Gonzaga, and 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 how did you how did you choose Gonzaga? Gonzaga, I chose because they gave me money. My my college search was pathetic. I found that filling out and nobody should do what I'm about to say. I didn't I didn't like filling out the, all the essays and stuff. I was like, this is more homework. This is like homework for my future. I don't want to do that. <laughs> Stupid decision. Didn't look around enough. I had a couple colleges offer me. A, I had one football scholarship. I had a track scholarship. Small schools, one in North Dakota, one in Montana. And then Gonzaga, I knew was a good school. And I knew about Gonzaga because of their basketball team. Mm-hmm. And they were... Everybody in the Northwest was like, Gonzaga's the best. Turns out it was a good school, and I liked that. They gave me good money. Not good enough, as it turns out. School debt's not always fun. Um, But you got like a partial academic scholarship. I got a good scholarship, yeah. So you weren't just a jock. You were smart, too. You made good grades. I graduated second in my class. Okay. Uh, Well, you're an overachiever. I knew Joe was smart. Don't act surprised. Oh, I don't... I well, I knew he was smart, but uh, <laughs> applied school smart is a di- is is a is a different facet of smartness. You, you see him in that Bud Light commercial? <laughs> that dude is smart. He told me to turn to the camera, and I did <laughs> <laughs> on cue. Uh, so I went to Gonzaga for whatever reason, and it turned out it was a great choice. I loved it, and the thing that I was most into watching on TV at the time was uh, whose line is it? Anyways, I loved it. I thought it was amazing. Colin Mockery and Ryan Styles were comedy gods to me. I didn't know improv was a thing that people could do. And it turns out there was an improv troupe at Gonzaga, and I was a resident assistant. 
again, to save money. I was a horrible resident assistant. Good Lord, I was the worst RA. The worst as in the best. I let my guys do whatever they wanted. It was so <laughs> as bad. As a freshman? As this a is, sophomore. As a sophomore, right. Yeah, and then one of my one of my uh, residents was part of it. And I was, I, you know, I would do that thing where you talk about it in hopes that maybe they invite you. Oh, you do that improv thing, huh? That's pretty cool. How does, like, did, how'd, you, how'd you get into it? Because, like, not that I want to. And then he invited me. I went to it. And then I got into improv. And that's kind of how everything started. Um, that got me performing. I started doing plays. I did Pippin. I did uh, Dead Man Walking. I was Matthew Ponslet in that. And the, I guess, suppose the moment that the, the rest of the future started to get paved at that moment was that's where I met Luke Bratz. And that's when we started making videos. But what about the cheerleading? The cheerleading was... <laughs> we want to know about the cheerleading. Went to Gonzaga, again, without much of a plan. I was thinking maybe teaching, maybe being a physical therapist. And uh, I didn't... I didn't research things. I didn't know what my path was going to be. I mean, I went there as a blank slate, um, open to anything. And then my RA at the time was this massive black guy from Hawaii. His name was Lamont. Huge. He was like, uh, I wanted to connect with my RA. I was like, yeah, I've never met anybody like you. I'm like, hey, man, I see that you do the, uh, the cheer team over there. That's pretty cool. You never met a black person before? Well, I'm from Montana. Montana. <laughs> I mean, is that no, is that really what's going on? I didn't grow up with really. There was a couple Filipino people in our town, but we had one uh, black guy in Columbia Falls when I was growing up, uh, and his name was Ray. And I remember he worked at the local mill, and I'm pretty sure he was referred to as Ray the black guy. Not in like a racist sensor or yeah, anything just, like that. It's just a, like as a designation. He was just that's yeah. that was the one that we had in the town. Incredibly <laughs> right. nice guy. I think his son ended up being like a record breaking runner. Um, Derek, really good guy. But you um, got to know Lamont. I got to know your RA. So, oh gosh, like, this guy's fascinating. It's like seven tangents. Um, in high school, I did cheerlead once. It, they sometimes they recruit like football players to go do a halftime show at like a basketball game or something. And, and you wear makeup. No, just like through oh. the girls, like oh. not safe at all. He's like, hey, will you come through our, <laughs> our teenage girls for a while? Like, yeah, we'll go do that. It'll be fun. <laughs> so we did that. And then I walked up to him like, so you do that cheerleader thing. I was like, I did cheerleading in high school for a halftime show once. And he's like, you should come try out. We're looking for people. And I was like, oh, okay, well, what the heck? I'll go do it. He suggested it. I went there. I did the the tryouts just to see what it was like. Because he's not even the tryouts. I went, I went to go check it out for one day just to see what it was all about. And then we did it. I was like, okay, this isn't really my bag. And then I left. And then it turned out he made me come on the one night that was the last night of tryouts. And the reason he was asking people to go is because they didn't have enough people. And I was the last guy that filled the, filled the team. So I was the eighth guy that would have been the eighth uh, for the eighth girl. Yeah. So they so guilted you onto the team. That was later. So I'm sitting there playing Tony Hawk pro skater in my dorm room with all of the uh, the kids on my level of the dorm were just hanging out in my room and we're like, hey, we're getting to know each other. We're broing out. I'm like, I'm Joe. I'm Justin. My name's Ty. And we're hanging out and having a good time. And then all of a sudden, boom, my door flies open. There's confetti. There's silly string. There's streamers. And they all yell. They're in their cheerleader uniforms. And they go, <laughs> you're a cheerleader. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> I turn, I'm like, oh no, <laughs> go. So I just ran out with them and then I was on the team because at that point I did feel, uh, I would have felt so bad just right. ditching this poor girl that all she wanted to do was be a cheerleader. And I will say that uh, it's one of the most um, 
not miser- miserable. I didn't like it at all. It was not fun. I, I continued with it because Gonzaga was supposed to go really far in the NCAA tournament, and I was going to get to go everywhere for free. Yeah, great seats. Like, Sweet. Front row tickets to the Final Four. Dan Dickas, our point guard, he's All-American. We're going to go so far. We lose to Wyoming in the first round <laughs> in Albuquerque, New Mexico. <laughs> it's like the biggest letdown ever. Uh, met a, a bunch of good guys on the team. Uh, I wouldn't change it for that. I got a girlfriend out of it, and... Uh, the girl that, that you were picking up? No, it was a different one. So well, was, how does that work? I was let's, touching on one, but and yeah, then let's talk about another. that because you pick the woman up by mm-hmm. the by the rear. Well, you pick her up by the hips if you want to get technical, but then and she then you sits on the rear on on your uh, hand. Just tell me, just tell me about what's going through your mind when that happens. Uh, don't <laughs> drop her. That's it. Like that whole like. <laughs> like masculine perverted side of it all is thrown out the window the first time you throw a, a human being in the air and you're like, oh, you're like, I gotta okay, catch you. This is what this is about. This um, is about survival. This isn't yeah. about an advance yeah. of the, some kind. Actually, the best thing that probably came out of it, other than a couple friends whose weddings I've went to and whatnot and I, I keep in touch with, is that I went to college with a earring. And I, it was just a single earring. I was one of those guys. I was like, I'm going to get it only in one because this is how I'm just going to – I'm going to stand out and do something different. So I did that, and it was so stupid, and it was infected and constantly looked dumb. And I had it. And then in one of the practices, one of the girls was following that we were supposed Ooh. to catch, and her hand grabbed the earring and ripped it out. Oh, so man. it was meant to be. It made a better decision for my life than I could make for myself, cheerleading. <laughs> right. Forced you to lose an earring. Yeah. So that so that, was that. that trajectory fizzled out, but you met Luke. I met Luke during in improv in Guts, Gonzaga University Theater Sports. And is this the type of thing that you guys were like you guys were instant best friends type thing? Or what was the what was the situation? With Luke and I, we he was a freshman and I was a sophomore. And I didn't start until the end of my sophomore year, but I remember we both were just kind of like, I like how that guy does funny. And Vice versa, we both were thinking about that about each other. And then the next year I became, that's when I was like, what am I going to do with my life? I'll be a broadcasting major. And then one of the things that I needed to do in broadcasting was create television shows. It was mostly news uh, journalism is kind of what the program focused on, but you could do other things. And me and this other guy, Ben Malachan, who also um, did a comedy website for a while, really funny guy. We're the only two that wanted to do the comedy show while the other 40 people in the program went and did just these the news stuff, which I had no interest in. Mm-hmm. And um, we just need to make videos. So I was like, Luke, let's go make some videos. And then we made some videos. So at most of the uh, early Barats and Beretta stuff that's on our site, Ninja Rap, The Mormon Missionaries, uh, Aaron Patino, that one's been lost to time. Um, they had, like the first five, six, seven videos, Gonzaga RAs, some other stuff that we've taken out, those were videos that I got graded on and we just threw up on our early website, which was just a place where we hosted QuickTime videos because, again, it was before YouTube. Yeah. We got a little bit of a following there and then YouTube came and we were like, oh, great, this is cool. Our parents can watch our stuff now because they can't figure out how to do anything else online. Threw it on YouTube, made Mother's Day, and Mother's Day blew up. So Mother's Day was a class assignment still? Mother's Day was the f- like the first video after I graduated, I think. I was working at a, a commercial production company in Spokane. Luke was still in school. We made that video and we threw it up on YouTube and that's the one that blew up. But we, all, we had this back catalog of videos. So it right. was, oh, wait, these guys made a really funny video that's, that's climbing the YouTube charts, but they've got all this other stuff. And I think that's what helped us out. So 
Yeah, because you were kind of a, an entity. You were a brand. You guys had done all of these videos. Mm-hmm. Uh, quantify this thing blowing up. I mean, at the time. Blowing up back in the day was a little bit different than blowing up these days. I mean, what's, what's considered blowing up now? Is a million hits on a video even good anymore? I don't know. I don't think it's blowing up. Yeah. I mean, you know. Which is crazy to think. Yeah, it's probably, probably yeah. like 10 million, really. Yeah, so we would monitor our our stats on our crappy little homepage, com, and we would probably get 200, if a good day, 2,000 hits a day. We woke up on Mother's Day or the day before or something like that. We I think we posted it the week before Mother's Day, and we had 40,000 hits on our website. We're like, what? happened and that was even before you realized that youtube could get you traction yeah and what happened is that our video got featured on the front page of youtube and this was back when the front page well someone made an editorial decision to put you there and it was one video the front page on youtube back in the day was Mm -hmm. you'd go to youtube.com and what would come up i think is the logo and then a featured video and that was it and that was our video so bratsandbreda.com we were smart enough to put our website at the end of it started branding for us and that's how it kind of blew up and we were like what is what's happening <clears throat> figured it out and like this is this is good and then and we started getting phone calls and it was crazy when they had this this back catalog uh, of videos which is a that's a, this is a different story than you know you hear from a lot of people which is we made a video it blew up and we immediately thought oh what are we going to do let's start making more videos so mm-hmm. what was the um, if there was no business plan so to speak in that what, what was the thought oh we've got all these videos were you, did you guys want to go around and do live comedy shows like what did you hope this translated into i think i i, I don't think we knew i don't think anybody knew back then yeah because again i was working at a commercial production company i was editing i was an editor i would occasionally write a, a commercial i would create occasionally direct a commercial as that was, was kind of what i was doing at the time and all we knew is that we liked making videos, so we kept making videos. And really, it wasn't even just about videos. It was, it was about comedy. So I joined Comedy Sports in Spokane, which was the professional company there for improv. And I still do that here in L.A. It's one of my favorite things to do. Uh, and then he continued doing theater and, and comedy at Gonzaga. And then even during that time, we joined uh, – we, we created a stand-up comedy show. We won a stand-up comedy competition. So we were always doing comedy together. Yeah. And the the videos were just another outlet for that. So I, it wasn't like, this is so huge, we got to keep doing it. It was just like, this is so cool, let's keep making videos in our free time because that's what we like to do. And, so, there was, and you weren't making money off of the video. There was no partner was. program. Yeah. Oh, God, we were so stupid about that. When the partner program started, we were like, nobody's ever going to buy into this. I think we didn't join the partner program until like two years after it was done. What a waste. Good Lord. <laughs> Good God. So stupid. Anyway, like no foresight whatsoever. <laughs> so dumb. Uh, so we kept making videos and then Luke graduated and we he ended up working at the company with me and we would, in our downtime at the company, we'd still make videos. We ended up making uh, Cubicle Wars. Mm-hmm. was actually um, – it was a legit commercial that we did for a company, Windward Reports, that just gave us a little bit of cash, allowed us to do what we want, like the smartest type of sponsor. Mm-hmm. Here's money, put our name at the end. That's it. We got to make Cubicle Wars, and we won Which, some- by the way, I think that was the first video ever favorited on our channel. Oh, really? <laughs> I remember oh. that video way back in the day. So it must have been, oh, here's a new button. It's called Favorite. Yeah, <laughs> right? And that's the video- that, I mean, that's one of the first YouTube videos I remember watching, and I mean, we, we were trying to we were trying to do our thing, 
we had videos on our website and eventually on YouTube too. I can't remember exactly how it worked out, but I mean, we would watch you guys and it would be like threat or <laughs> these guys are great. This is the goal. Yeah. This well, is the goal. I think it was very much a, uh, I remember looking at your channel and seeing 65,000 subscribers, which at, at the time, I, I, I can't think of anyone who had, I mean, that was the top, you know, there was maybe somebody had 70 Our or whatever. Our peak was, I think we were the third most subscribed in the early, the early run-ins. Right. I, I just remember looking at the number and thinking. Not in comedy, overall. Yeah. Yeah. I was just like, how, how does that happen? You know, like how, how do you get that many people interested in, in your content? We didn't even know, again, we didn't realize what was going, we would have capitalized on everything, I think, a lot better. You know, if we knew then what we know now, it was, I think it was like Brooker's was number one. Yeah. Okay. And then like geriatric, that guy that just died. <laughs> uh, and then us and then Smosh was right behind us. Boheme. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Old yeah. school stuff. So, yeah. And you guys had a number of videos that were, you you were played Mormon missionaries or there was like a Bible thing. Mm -hmm. So I guess early on, I assumed, okay. The, this is this is a Mormon comedy duo because they know <laughs> they thought. know this stuff. Yeah, and that's kind of where they're coming from. Like, well, yeah, what was the perspective there? Was it, oh, we is this coming from like your background, people you grew up with, or did Luke have experience? The with? religious uh, knowledge definitely came from Luke. Um, I'm not, I, I, I can't speak for him saying if he was like super religious growing up or not, but he just had the knowledge. Luke's one of the smartest guys that. I know or have ever met hands down. And he just knew that stuff. The Bible in a minute, he just showed up one day and he was like, hey, I wrote this rhyming uh, rap about the Bible like in five minutes last night. You want to do it? <laughs> yes, let's do it. It's amazing. <laughs> and, and so you didn't, from the whole spiritual side of things or like the biblical or if it was the Mormon thing, you're like, okay, that's not my bag. This is a good idea. It's going to be funny. I'm going along with it. What was your point of reference? Yeah, because I, I don't think we ever made fun. We never made fun of religion. We just kind of utilized it as a vehicle. We never like, I don't think we ever pointed fingers and and said, you're you're stupid for believing something or or you're funny for believing something. We just kind of used it. The, we did the uh, Wesley Christ, which was Jesus's partying brother. We did uh, the Mormon missionaries. I, I think I just was like, hey, Luke, I got this idea. I want to, we just improv in front of a door that keeps opening up. And that's how that video came to be. Uh -huh. And most, I mean, none of that, like not none of it, but a lot of it wasn't written. It was just us messing around with the camera, open a door, say some things. Um yeah, I mean, it, everything was free game for us, but I don't think we were ever malicious with our comedy, yeah. which I think made it palatable for uh, most people. And right. like you thought we were Mormon, like a Mormon comedy duo. <laughs> uh, so it was either that is a, are you guys Mormons? Or are you guys brothers? Or are you guys, you know, together? Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's got to be one, yeah. of one of the three. We had a yeah. t-shirt when we first started out. Uh, it was uh, the... the um, the male symbol for the bathroom. So just, you know, the white guy just standing there. Mm -hmm. And we had two of them standing next to each other in a, in a box that said brothers under it. And then, or, and then there was another box with the same two bathroom symbols just holding hands. Lovers. So it was brothers or lovers. <laughs> Bratsandbreda.com. So. <laughs> you might as well embrace it. Yeah, we it. embraced it. So it was good. I mean, yeah. It, we just YouTube was really good to us at the start. The Mother's Day was featured, and then our completely uncalled for mm -hmm. video was featured, and then I think uh, Wes 
the Wesley video was featured, and so was uh, Windward Reports. I think those were our four, and that you know helped us Off keep to getting the races. a fan base. Yeah. yeah so when, when did when did Hollywood start calling? After Mother's Day, it was it was pretty quick. Mother's Day came out, and maybe let's say a month later or whatever, after may, releasing a couple more videos, we got a call from a manager in Hollywood that was like, hey, I'm a manager in Hollywood. But I his want- voice was like this, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, he's really young. He's a real go-getter. Um, I want to manage you guys. And we're like, you're in Hollywood. What are you going to do for us? We're in Spokane, Washington. He's like, I'll make things work. And he, he did. He, he worked really hard for us. And uh, What was his name? Dan Farah. And uh, he's actually Tony Danza's manager now. Which is interesting. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, he called us and we're like, cool. You can be our manager. Didn't expect to hear anything because we figured if he's going to find any work for us, it was going to be in L.A. And he's not going to find any work for two Sp- Spokane uh, possible Mormon comedy duo boys. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a week after that, CAA in L.A., which is a, one of the big agencies down here, they wrote us an email and we're like, we want to rep you. And we're like, what's a CAA? <laughs> and then somebody informed us. They're like, you have to. Like, All right. They're not going to find us any work. It doesn't matter. And then we luckily had a manager and an agency in on our team because a week after that, NBC sent us an email. It was literally one line that was like, hey, we're NBC. We want you guys to do a pilot. <laughs> like, okay. Okay, NBC, fake account guys. <laughs> but they did and we got to that's, – that's how it happened. And then we had the team in place. They got us a good deal and we wrote a sketch comedy pilot and got to shoot it and direct it and edit it and – called This Is Cul-de-Sac. It was really fun. Learned a lot. So it was a 22-minute pilot. Yeah. Maybe a little longer. This Is Mm Cul-de-Sac. And you guys were the stars? Yeah. We did everything. You did everything. The only thing that we did not do was press record on the camera. They got us a really good DP. Okay. His name was Greg. He was was amazing. Um, And there was a development deal associated with that, right? So it was, was it, we're painting you guys to make a pilot or we're paying you guys to kind of lock you up to whatever it is we're going to, we want to work with you guys. I don't think we got the lockup deal. What is that called? I forget. Oh no. Yeah. but First look or. Yeah. People will do that. They'll be like, I know Jimmy Fallon was like locked up with NBC for the longest time. Like he couldn't go do other pilots because they were like, if you're going to do something, we're gonna give you a lot of money and someday you'll do it for us. I forget what it's called. Um, no, they paid us to, they wanted to make, uh, an edgy hip, uh, alternative comedy hour. Uh, is what NBC wanted to do at the time. Mm. So it was us, and they planned on um, combining us. The second half an hour is supposed to be improv everywhere. Yeah, you guys remember mm-hmm. them? Yeah, yeah. So, Charlie Todd. Yeah. So they were gonna, we were gonna do our sketch thing, and they were gonna do uh, the the live um, comedy stuff out in the real world. And I, I can't remember if they got a show or not. They didn't on NBC. I think they did somewhere else. Maybe IFC. I don't remember. I don't know if it ever became a TV show. Uh, but anyway, so we got to, they said, do whatever you want. And we're like, well, we know how to make sketch comedy. So we made sketch comedy. And the the show, like I said, was called This Is Cul-de-Sac. And it was about two guys that lived in a town. And we played all the quirky characters in the town. So that we brought the Mormon missionaries into the show. Um, they rapped. And we released a couple of these. The Mailman versus Milkman, which is on our channel. That was part of it. Right. Yeah, it was just this daily look inside of this town called cul-de-sac and you would see the construction workers do something and then the mailman and the milkman and then the missionaries and it would have been different characters every single episode played by us hopefully guest stars as it went on i think the concept is actually pretty good and i think there's a show called little britain that kind of did something similar over in england and but it was all on location and when it comes to sketch comedy that doesn't make a lot of sense so Mm -hmm. it would have been an expensive show and Mm -hmm. i don't think you take a chance on somebody 
uh, especially when on a show like that, which is sketch, which would have existed on the same network that already has the the pinnacle of sketch shows, which is uh, Saturday Night Live. Right. And right. I mean, the Lonely Island had their version of the same thing, which I think was after you guys called Awesome, awesome Town, Town. Yeah. Which was kind of. Uh, it was it, kind it, of they posted similar. it on their YouTube channel. Yeah. I'm trying to remember. I just remember the opening because it was great. Come but, along with us. Is that how they do it? No, no, no. no it was a very was cheesy one. Sesame yeah, really Street-ish good. kind of a yeah. thing. But they posted their whole pilot. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, once the thing kind of didn't happen, you took some of the clips and put them on your channel. Yeah, I think I think the, the Lonely Island was smart and made a deal where they were like, well, we have an online following. If it doesn't happen, can we put it on there? Or maybe they financed the whole thing and they got to put it on there no matter what. So what happened with that with you guys? Did that, was that, in retrospect, what was it? Some money in your pocket? The, I mean, the whole experience? Yeah. Was it a diversion from creating on YouTube? Yes. I would say that... Or MySpace? There was a little bit of that, too. We, it was a definite aversion because we were, we were on the uptick. Like I said, we were in the top 10. Three. Three for a while, but like we were up there for the longest time. Mm-hmm. And then we, again, we didn't know the YouTube game. Nobody did back then, but yeah. consistent content was important back then. And we stopped doing consistent content because we were off doing a pilot. And I think we didn't post an original video for eight months or something like right. that where we're running around. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of stunted our growth. And it didn't stop us from doing videos, but I think it it hindered us a little bit as far as, you know, staying in the upper ranks. But we have always had a very devout uh, following, devout following. Um, so that wasn't a huge problem. And then the MySpace deal came around, and that was great because that was, we're going to pay you a lot of money to post one video a month on MySpace. And we're like, well, can we put it in there that we get to keep? the rights to all of our videos? And they're like, sure. And we're like, could you mind if we try to also put those videos on YouTube three weeks after we put them on MySpace? And they're like, sure. <laughs> like, this is the best deal ever. Yeah. So we got paid pretty good money to do the MySpace deal. And that was right before MySpace died. We killed MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and I think they were trying to, they were trying to save themselves. And by doing that, they were making outrageous deals with content creators. And we were one of them, thank God. And again, that was another thing where we were still producing for YouTube, but then, even then, the YouTube uh, world was was formula- forming itself. And one of the things was, you don't go off of YouTube, even if you're going to put videos on YouTube, we're going to be really angry at you. So we, we even lost, I think, a little bit of the fan base for going to MySpace first and then putting the videos on YouTube. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I don't think we ever played the YouTube game correctly, but YouTube has always been great to us. And so it was such a weird way to put it. We've never put a good business plan in practice for YouTube because making videos for us was always – it was always the extra thing we did. We always had another job or mm-hmm. or it was just a free time thing in the start, at the beginning. And yeah, I mean we've never been a consistent poster on on the site, but we've always had a really good following, which you can't really complain. It would be interesting to, to see what would happen if we found a business plan or a life plan at this point because that's – the age group we're in. So, uh, right. Yeah. At what point did you move here in this process? Uh, the middle and then of, I'm curious, like when the source fed thing kind of came in kind of from left field, I don't know how you the, would characterize that. It was the middle of the MySpace era. Moved to LA. Yeah. So we were getting a good enough paycheck from MySpace where we could up and move. And we upped and moved and got our minds blown about how f- expensive 
this city is. It's outrageous. Uh, and the, the, the MySpace money kept us afloat for quite a while. And then that ran out and it was just odd for me because I have a family. It became odd jobs after that. It's like, I st- we're still doing videos, Luke and I, whenever we can, but I have to go be a bartender here. And then it became, mm-hmm. I need to be a, a waiter. And then I was like, I was serving pancakes to Jeff Goldblum and friends for, <laughs> God, it was probably a year and a half or two. So you literally like, served pancakes to Jeff Goldblum? Literally served pancakes to Jeff Goldblum and his random, super young, different girl that he brought in every day. Oh, it was his hangout. Which re- restaurant was this? The Griddle Cafe. In, Were uh, you like on a first name basis with him? No, but he did say I looked like Aaron Eckert. And I was like, cool, thanks, Jeff Goldblum. Love Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> and what did he say? Uh, he said, give me my oatmeal. Um, no brown sugar. <laughs> Ian Zeering would show up every once in a while. <laughs> I can see that. 90210. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good looking guy. Very. Still looks like Ian Zeering. <laughs> he still does. Um, and, it, and about this time is when kind of the source fed opportunity happened. Yeah. So I'm serving pancakes, but I'm also at my wits end. The place was very good to me. I've got no qualms about it. it was, it's a good job. Made me good enough money for what I needed to do at the time while we were making Bratz Bread videos sporadically. Uh, but I needed – what was going through my mind when the source-fed opportunity came about was I need to take a life risk. I need to do something different. Otherwise, what am I doing? And then I heard about source-fed and I just – I went and auditioned for it. I went – you know, I was like, this is going to be something different. I feel a little weird about it because it's in the YouTube realm. But I need to take a risk. I need to take a chance. And then thankfully it worked out. You felt weird about it because it's in the YouTube realm. What do you mean? Well, it, it – you feel loyal to the thing that you're doing on the platform that you're doing it. Mm-hmm. So Barats and Bretta is the thing like, I was like, well, should I do this? Because I'm Barats and Bretta. If I'm on YouTube, that's what I'm doing. But again, it wasn't, Barats and Bretta wasn't my job. It's always been like the thing that if it could make us money, great, I would do it. But at the time, I mean, it's either I do Barats and Bretta and serve pancakes or I do Barats and Bretta and I do source fed, which is in the right. realm of the things that I'm doing. So, And, and was there a perception? I mean, as a... <clears throat> as a comedian, as a sketch comedian, mm-hmm. uh, with the background that you had, what what reservations did you have about getting involved with a format, a, a news format? You knew you, you knew you were going to get to be funny. It wasn't mm-hmm. like, oh, this is unfunny, straight laced news. But did you have reservations about the format? And if so, what were they? I don't think I did. I I wanted to try something different because what I was doing wasn't working. I was a I was a married man. Or I wasn't quite married yet, but we we're essentially I was an essentially a married man with a kid, and I was serving pancakes at 28, and I didn't want to be that guy anymore. So I was willing to try anything new, and I knew it was in the realm of YouTube, and it was something that I could um, hopefully, if it was successful, we, I could build my own brand as well as help build the Bratz and Beretta brand as well as just trying new different things at the same time. So I didn't mind the format, but even going into it, they, I don't think the format was really nailed down and we got to kind of create that with our voices, which was nice. Me and Elliot and and Lee. And I think we created something kind of fun and different, which was nice. Right. Now going into it, what was your, did you know Phil? And what was your perception of him and, and how has that changed since working for him? Phil and I were... I think we just kind of we always just knew of each other's existence. Like he, we we met each other. I think for the first time at uh, the first time I met you guys. 
It was in San YouTube Francisco live. at yeah. YouTube, YouTube live. live. That's right. I'm so disappointed there hasn't been another YouTube Live because I had a blast. <laughs> yeah. It was a big old waste of money, but I had a blast. <laughs> yeah, it was good. <laughs> it was fun. I met MC Hammer. It was amazing. <laughs> it's been se- how many? Seven years? 2006. I still oh, have the hat. Eight years. Yeah. Dang. That's crazy. It was such a good time. We saw Katy Perry before she was Katy Perry. Yeah, we did. That's right. She molested Bo Burnham on stage. It was great. <laughs> He was like 15. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, no, uh, I knew I knew of what Phil, I knew Phil and I knew what he did and I think vice versa. And I think he heard that I wanted to do SourceFed and he was like, cool, I know what Joe does. And uh, he wanted to bring me on and it kind of worked out in, in that sense. And then- uh, What's your title over there? I'm the head writer. What does that mean? That means I does listen that mean to scripts. Like- does that are you like dad over there? I've heard you're like Joe's like the dad. He's in charge, really. Uh, He's in charge of SourceFed. We've had different uh, timelines of what my level of power <laughs> is there. <laughs> um, but yeah, as the head writer, I help choose the stories. Or they basically pitch them to me, and if it sounds like it's a stinker, I'll say we should probably find something else. That's it. But everybody has free voice. They'll read me their script, and if I have a joke that I can help punch them up, I'll do it. And um, five months ago to a year back, a year prior to that, I would also watch down final edits, but we've since put a brought on a producer that now does the final watch downs for videos and stuff, so I don't have to worry about that. So, yeah. And, and so... Elliot's gone, and I know Meg's gone. There's other people coming in. There's a lot of fresh faces mm-hmm. type of thing. Are you moving more kind of behind the scenes, or are you doing the same amount of videos? I was just curious. No, it's pretty much the same. Uh, we have a couple part-timers now, Matt, Will, and Raina. They've kind of come in and, and are picking up some of the slack after Meg and Elliot uh, went off to go um, do their own thing. But I would say my workload is still the same. Um, was that a good good decision for them, for Elliot, for Meg? What what was the deal there? I think they both just were ready to go try something new. You know, before joining SourceFed, I wanted, I needed to take a risk to mm-hmm. find inspiration and passion again. And I think for them, they needed to just try something different. I mean, we've been doing it for two and a half years now. It's yeah. a long time to do anything in the realm of YouTube, even uh, let alone entertainment. You know. Yeah. Well, right. and, and it seems like you've got kind of a. You know, you coming from a background uh, of having something that was everybody knew about on YouTube with Bratz mm-hmm. and Bretta, and then uh, that kind of losing momentum in, in in a certain way where you had to have a second job, mm-hmm. moving into something that now is also a really popular entity. You're part of something different. It's a different story than than what they have, where they really nobody knew who they were from the from YouTube. Now they've kind of built a career and they can kind of maybe go try something on their own. For you having had that and now having what you have with SourceFed, being a part of something like this, do you have less of that desire to be like, yeah, maybe someday I do want to go back and, and try to, to, to make the, the Brass and Bretta thing or the Joe Beretta thing happen in a, in, in a big way? Or are you just, you know, how do you feel about where you're at right now? Yeah, I'm super passionate about all three things. I've got, I've got a, a lot of pride for SourceFed because I do feel like a lot of it is uh, something that, I created out of 
or helped create out of, you know, my hard work and passion and my vision. And I, I only want to see it succeed and I want to be there as it succeeds. But there's also the, the creator independent Joe that's inside of what I'm doing right now that for the first time where I'm, I'm, I'm now starting to figure out maybe what I want to do with my own personal brand, because all of my endeavors have been with somebody else or connected to somebody else. And now I want to find the time to also build uh, the Joe Beretta vision, whatever that is. I can't say what it is, but I'm finally taking steps to make that happen while continuing to do SourceFed. So I started JoeBeretta.com where I'm doing a little bit of writing and stuff and posting all the the daily or weekly happenings of things that I do on the internet or in Hollywood. And then I started my own YouTube channel, finally, with nothing on it except for my Vine compilations right now because that's just a time thing. And then Bratz and Beretta is definitely something that I've, I'll, I, def, I want to put more time and effort into and once I have that opportunity, it's something that I would love to to build just because I don't think pe- – there. I have yet to see something where two guys are doing what Luke and I did. I feel like I yeah. can go back and watch our videos and they still make me laugh. And sometimes yeah. I forget that we did some funny stuff. And I'll, I'll, get, I'll get caught up watching the videos with my daughter and I'll be like, damn it. Damn it. I should, like, a lot of the reason what we didn't capitalize on is just because – you know, I did have to have a job and do other things. And if I had that opportunity to put more time and effort into it, I think we could do some pretty cool stuff. So where's Luke at on this? I th- if he's just as down he the to want to do it. No, no, definitely me. That's <laughs> 100% me. So you're the problem. I'm the I mean, problem. You, you've, your commitment to SourceFed is, is so involved. My commitment to just like needing to feed my family. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the SourceFed does take a lot of time up, but I don't think that's an excuse for not continuing to make content over on Brad's and Bretta. That was just, uh, you know, you're up at five in the morning, you're home at four, you're tired. Yeah. Got to spend the weekends a little bit. And we, like, we have I made a couple of videos here and there, but again, never consistently enough to parlay that into something bigger. So do you guys, uh, do you guys talk about that? I mean, like, how, how does that work? What's the dynamic as you talk about the status of, Brass and that's the, the other future. that's the other thing about the way we've always worked is that it's always just kind of there was never we would never just sit down and create it'd be like i got an idea i got an idea we would email them back and forth and stuff and then we'd get together and make it like it was yeah. our our system of creation never really had us in the same place at the same time having those type of conversations but we when when we did get together we would make live shows that were like 45 minute live shows that we've we've done tours for comedy uh at colleges and stuff like we make good stuff together it just comes down to what is the what is the reality where you both can make a living while making content mm-hmm. and that reality is getting harder and harder to grasp yeah. as we're getting older especially with me having two kids and what is he doing he writes for a bunch of a bunch of channels he's and if he's not writing for other people he's writing for himself he's got a channel too that's really good he's done a lot of funny stuff on it uh barats productions and then he's constantly writing pilots and movies i mean he's he's constantly on just the edge of i feel blowing up he just needs that one that one exec to read one script mm-hmm. and he'll have a tv show or a movie or whatever he's probably got Stacks upon stacks upon stacks. He's a writing savant. <laughs> he stays busy. He, he does. He keeps the, bent, the pen mm-hmm. down. I mean, again, if he's not writing for somebody else, he's writing for himself. And again, he's just getting better and better and better. So do you do you see yourself, ironically, as somewhat of a news guy now? 
I mean, not c- no. certainly not completely. I mean, I I hear kind of the heart behind what you want to, where you want to be in terms of creating things, but none of us your your public profile is kind of a news guy now. None of us can sit. None. I I, would, I don't think I am stepping out of bounds by saying it. Everybody on SourceFed. I don't think I am. I can't think of somebody that would disagree with this. Thinks that they're a journalist or mm-hmm. thinks that they're a news guy. We all consider ourselves entertainers that are creating on a news aggregate. We re- research and read other people's actual journalism that go out in the actual field <laughs> and interview actual human beings. And we take that information and we turn it into something that is informational and hopefully entertaining. And we are we are uh, a connector to journalism, I feel like. We, we open yeah. up the doors to events in the world to people that don't want to watch CNN and CNN <laughs> CNN or MSNBC and I hate stuff CNN like that. And yeah, it's many ends. The What's their problem? Why did they name it that? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so I think we're more of uh, we open doors to that world, but I don't. I don't consider myself a news person. And anybody that says to me, "You're the only person I get my news from," I go, "That's a horrible decision," <laughs> and you should probably get some other sources. And because you should do that anyways, you shouldn't just be going to CNN and NNN or MSN and NBC, you know, you got to bounce around and uh, formulate your own opinion. I don't know, Joe. I, I feel like that kind of sounds like a, like a cop out. Sure. Because you think that's like John Stewart saying he's not a real right. journalist. Yeah. I think to me, I think like, I certainly don't look down my nose if it, when asking the question, do you consider yourself a news guy, a newsman or whatever? Um, I mean, there's certain. It's an interesting opportunity, a, a position that you're mm-hmm. in. If people are getting their news from you, it it there's a there's a there's an implied level of responsibility that if I were you, I guess I wouldn't be that comfortable with. I agree with what you're saying because it's like, wow, they're only going to listen to me, and which is why I tell them to not. <laughs> yeah, but I do. I I do. But agree. Look at John Stewart. Look at the. Look at that dude. He'd give you the same answer it. that I just gave you. Well, and he's but I done think it a lot. The, the interesting dynamic though is uh, uh, we and even though GMM is not a news show, there's we don't have someone here on staff who is going out and getting to the bottom of something. We're reading blogs. Mm-hmm. We're uh, we're reading news sites, right? We're, we're we're finding articles that have been posted. Yeah. You and you, and so in that sense you're that you don't have that at SourceFed either. You're, you're you're taking you're, you're presenting the news in an entertaining way. It is I do at times feel not like being irresponsible, but more like ah yeah, there's somebody out there actually got this story. I don't mm-hmm. know how that person. I don't know how exactly. it works. I don't know how that person got the story. But we're taking that. I don't think it's fair it. to actual journalists to consider ourselves journalists. I would say we're. Oh, okay. If you want to, if you want to attach the word news, let's say we're news personalities, and if that's the case. Um, they de- they they need to know what they're listening to, which is why I say you need to listen to other people because I'm just giving you. Well, you guys want an unbiased take on the news. Well, I didn't. Cr- I'm not researching the yeah. news. I'm I'm reading somebody else's take, which is probably off of somebody else's take, which is off of another actual journalist's work. But I do agree that there is a responsibility uh, with us to present it, uh, not just. In an entertaining way, which is how I feel, SourceFed is the number one thing: is entertainment than informational. But a mm. lot of people do see it the other way, informational than entertainment-wise. And 
just this week, I, I redid a story. It was one of the first times that I, I ever did it because I it was about this this lady that hit Sue and killed. And, yeah, Sue and the, sued the, the family of the boy that yes. she actually killed. Yeah. So she hit a kid with her car late night. Kid died, and then turns out all the the news reports were saying she was suing the family and the dead kid for um, for money. And I was like, "That's bullshit." And then I made a video where I was just it was just it was just rage. I just didn't. It was incredible. They used the word biased, but it was just a reaction, is what it was. And I was like, "This is how this made me feel." And then got a lot of uh, blowback for it, in the sense of. Oh, this is incredibly biased. You didn't read this and this and this, and you didn't take this lady's side into consideration. It's like, well, we're we're not journalists where we need to be a hundred percent unbiased all the time. Again, we are reacting to other people's hard work. So, anyways, I went back and I watched the video, and I didn't like how I did it. It was reactionary. It was it was again. It was almost like blind rage. I used, um, I just described the woman in very very uh, vivid terms in a very negative light. I was like, well, okay, well, I think this story probably deserves a little bit more of both sides. So I went back and I I made a second video where I discussed both sides a little bit more, um, gave the the devil's advocate of both situations, and then I was like, here's my opinion. And that's really probably how a lot of things should be done in that realm, but in the realm of making five videos a day with a lot of turnaround, we, we can't put that much time and research and mm-hmm. energy into every single video, like a real journalist. I, I get it. And it, the interesting thing is you're also, uh, you're not just a, a news personality, you're an internet personality, which mm-hmm. carries with it people want to know you. They want to know your opinion. They want to know you as a person. I've, you know, That's I, the success of SourceFed. That's, yeah. that's why SourceFed works in, mm-hmm. in other ways that these other news personalities don't, because Phil knew, you know, oh, people like personalities, so he was like, I'm going to get people that people will like you know, mm-hmm. to do this. And so you, now that's why, that's why ultimately a guy like Elliot can go and try to do something mm-hmm. on his own, because Everybody knows him and likes him now, you know? But just again, personalities and, and entertainers first that happen to be doing a news show. And I'm interested, you know, when you look at something like Table Talk as a series, I was curious if you found yourself sharing more of the real Joe because of the off-the-cuff nature of Table Talk. I mean, you, you're a sketch comedy guy who's found himself in a news environment News entertainer, mm. we'll say we'll use apply that label. But then a step further, as as close as maybe you you never thought you'd get so close to being a vlogger that you're sharing personal experiences like, like bite, the story. biting your mom's yeah. butt. Yeah. So I was curious if you found yourself sharing more of yourself. Probably because you've I've always had the impression that you're kind of a guarded guy, but my theory is that with table talk you find yourself talking and sharing more of yourself than you instinctively would share as Joe. I think uh, I'll always be a storyteller in the sense when we're sitting here together shooting the, the crap. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that, no, I've never, I've never had a filter in that sense, but I do have a filter in there are a bunch of things in my life that nobody needs to know, and I 
don't like I know when to talk about things and when not to talk about things. So if I have a funny story or something that I feel like will educate somebody or give some perspective, I'll tell that. But I've never vlogged because I don't feel like everything about my family is anybody's business but my own. Hmm. And that's why I've never been much about, you know, picking up the camera and putting every bit of my life online for everybody to see because I don't want my life to become a reality show. And I kind of want some of that just for me, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, 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 there's, I, I will tell almost anything and everything, but the, there's always going to be a line for me. We started as sketch comedians and entertainers online. And I feel like we've always enjoyed the fourth wall. The fourth wall has always been a, a, an important thing to us. Uh, but at over time, source fed and me just realizing the nature of YouTube and the audience on YouTube, you have to break down that fourth wall a little bit because it isn't television. YouTube is creating that community and building that community. And I'm way more okay with that now than I was 10 years ago when it all started. But I'll never, I don't think I'll ever be that vlogger guy. I think for me, and I could be wrong because I'm not the audience, I, entertainer, comedian, fourth wall Joe will always be for me, be more entertaining than just what I do during my everyday life. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I should have been. I've been wrong about YouTube all the time. <laughs> Partner program, that's stupid. Nobody's <laughs> going to do that. The audience will just recoil and stop watching. Well, I've certainly enjoyed the candid side of Joe here and taking a trip down memory lane. So I have. I appreciate oh, thanks, that. guys. Yeah. Well, you, you know, you say- A lot you, of rambling. You haven't figured out YouTube, but you're, nope. you're doing something right. Uh, it's, it's been YouTube been good to me, very very. Yeah, good. you're doing something right, or else you know we wouldn't have you at the, the round table of dim lighting. You where's that Phil right. signature? Yes, we would. We're, I mean, that. we're friends. I'm going. Oh, we'd have him just because we're friends, but that's not why we. The had first you. time we yeah. ever hung out was at a bar just down the road from here. It was a uh, British pub. Was a British, it was. It's, called. it's called British pub. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man, sign up. <laughs> I will. All right, Phil, say goodbye to your signature, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's barking right through. Right on it. Oh, there it goes. And there it was, our Joe Beretta ear biscuit. You know, he's one of the only examples I could think of of someone who has essentially reinvented himself on YouTube. I mean, yeah, there from the very beginning, top three most subscribed channel with Barats and Beretta. But then, uh, you know, it was fascinating to hear the story that kind of led to being a shaping force in the whole format of SourceFed. I mean, getting it on the ground level and inventing how that SourceFed was going to work and continues to work to this day, even with a lot of new hosts, uh, a lot of credit goes to Joe. And it reinvent, reinvented himself as a part of that, you know. Yeah, I, I can't think of another example. There may be on YouTube, but... Um, YouTube hasn't been around that long for uh, for people to uh, for enough people to reinvent themselves yet. Well, it's t- you know, so he's it, a pioneer it, in that way. Right, I would say. It's, it's tough enough to to just do one thing to figure out what you're doing, the one thing that you're doing right. And it, and I I think it's cool that there's people who would just know. Oh, Joe, yeah, from SourceFed. Oh, you mean he's also part of a comedy duo that. Uh, has this this history and had, had this huge success and 
had these opportunities. With yeah, that the, would be surprising. That thing, you know. But I just I think it just goes to show you that he's got that he's got that skill set, and I and I do think uh, I will not be uh, surprised at all when I hear that uh, Joe is. Uh, got something else cooking is uh, I mean maybe that's a Barrett's and Breda thing maybe that's just a Joe Beretta thing but he's a smart guy he's a talented guy uh, and, and then a, he's a great family man you he's, know, yeah, I, well, he's got that motivation he's got, got that a lot of motivation you know a lot of respect for Joe and you know high hopes for uh, everything that he's gonna do and yeah I mean I'm excited to hear about he and Luke continuing to work together you know I was kind of afraid to hear that he might tell us oh Barrett's and Beretta it's basically over, guys, you know? But I was encouraged to hear that that's not the case, that, you know, there could be some, there could be some more, and I hope there will be. And, uh, well, it's too good of a name. I mean, you know, <laughs> Bratz and Beretta, even, even right. Asking to be comedically duo-wise oh, yeah. forever. You gotta pair those names up. <laughs> I mean, one is a name of a gun, you know, I don't know what Barats. The other is. one is Barats. Yeah, they sound good together. They both got a end B. of story. Well, when you when when you abbreviate them B and B, it's like bed and breakfast. They could, have, you know, what they could just have a bed and breakfast. Barats and bread, a bed and breakfast. Hmm. I I'd, I'd be into that. I like a bed and breakfast. You like a bed and breakfast. I love it. I think you might even like a bed and breakfast more than I do. I don't particularly like eating breakfast with strangers is the one reason, is, is the main downfall of the bed and breakfast. But if uh, Joe and Luke are there, I'm then like, it's oh, not strangers, right? This it's just like, yeah, I know you, you guys. You guys are here every day. You didn't have to make this for me. Gosh. Can I, uh, tomorrow I'll make something for you. We should have told him about that. Well, Do you he, like your sausage mixed in with your scrambled eggs? Because that's one of my favorite things to eat. I could learn how to make it. I like my, an my wife makes I like it. an omelet. I like an omelet station in a bed and breakfast. Surely they can figure that out. Uh, yeah. One of them can. I like a pancake with a with an apple slice in it. What that happens? At a, at a bed and breakfast, I got one of those one time. It's a, is it a, is it a circular apple slice? Like it's been circ, it's a circle cut? No, just like some cross sections of apple and a pancake. I let you know. Let's take care of that in our own time. Let's wrap up this ear biscuit. I'm interested. Good. We should have called this thing. We could have should have called this podcast apple, apple pancakes. A, apple apple and a pancake. Apple pancakes. But it's ear biscuits, and we can't change it now. Dang, Link, you kind of get some good ideas. You just came up with this on yourself, your own. No, I, I ate at a bed and breakfast many years ago. And at, they offered it at, to you. At they, uh, uh, the Outer Banks. They said, do you want a, uh, an apple in your pancake? No, they didn't even ask. They just gave it to me. Wow. Okay, well, that's rocked my world. Well, again, guys, thank you for being with us for this uh, episode of Apple and a Pancake. <laughs> um, I think it's you're just special. apple pancakes. It's got to uh, be Plural. Be sure to let Joe Beretta know on Twitter what you think of uh, his ear biscuit. Also, hashtag ear biscuits it up to share the love. And let us know on iTunes uh, what you think about the podcast. Remember leaving a review, hitting that little star button. The more stars, the better. That helps out a lot. And you can leave a comment on SoundCloud. And we will do this again next week because you can count on us. And I know we can count on you because I know you. You think we can get one of those apple pancakes right now? I'm not going to make it if that's what you're asking. Okay. Well, maybe next week.